0: Hi, welcome to Vital Conversations. It's our monthly community call that we have at Teleosis Institute. And I'm very pleased to have, along with my co-host, Reggie Mara, uh, Ruth Woolover, who is a coach, psychologist, director. She's so, got so many things I wanna, first of all, I just wanna say hi, Ruth. Welcome for, to joining us today.
1: Thank you. I am so pleased to be here.
0: Thank you. And I want to just give everybody a little bit of context. I mean, I know you're here to talk about the, you know, the the, the certification of health coaches, but at this stage for the past, I guess it's six months to a year, you've been developing a program at Vanderbilt university at the medical school. That's correct. Where you are a faculty member and associate professor. And as well, uh, you actually came from Duke University, a uh, founding director of research at Duke Integrative Medicine. I guess you're still probably aligned there a little bit or still involved.
1: I am, I am for a little bit till the studies there finished.
0: <laughs> and then of course before that or you've been a clinical health psychologist and you also are the chief scientific officer at eMindful, which is a whole other faculty Fascinating conversation that we could have, but we're here to talk about health coaching today. So, welcome. Thank you. And I, I think, uh, you know, well, you did prepare slides, so I'm, I'm actually thinking maybe we should just let you sort of give us I mean, the, the goal or the work today was to share with us the, you know, how we got to this new certification that you've been intimately involved and you one on the core team Mm -hmm. and to give our our listeners an opportunity to ask questions because uh, it's moving fast and it's being very successful and it's nice to have you. So I'm going to give you a chance to sort of start your presentation.
1: Great, Thank you, Joel. So I am going to uh, move to a shared screen here so that you can see my slides and uh, we will, I'll talk for a little while and then we'll uh, pop back into, let's see. Move my, there we go, give you a little bit better, uh, better picture there. Um, Then we'll pause and we'll converse for a while. If you do have questions, feel free to send them. Um, Joel is monitoring the chat and he'll kind of aggregate them for me, or if I get too long-winded, maybe he'll just butt in. We'll find out. All right, so I do want to acknowledge, I have to do this as an academic if I have um, another role, which is my chief science officer, as Joel already mentioned, although we're not talking about that tonight. So I want to uh, chat with you about the emergence of a clear definition of what health and wellness coaching is, and talk about the formation of this national consortium, whose mission is really to professionalize health and wellness coaching. We'll do that by Um, I'll give you the sort of intimate details of the job task analysis that we did and the validation survey that backed the analysis up and talk about the sort of process toward a, a national exam and we'll have lots of time for next steps and questions. So as you're, I'm sure, all aware, the pressing need to manage chronic illness has really led to new innovative roles, including health and wellness coach. What's happened over the last decade or so has been this great upward trend in peer reviewed published research and research specifically that is about health and wellness coaching. But as more people have used that title, there's also been more and more variability in what that title means. So it's created a lot of confusion over the field. You know, almost all allied health professionals have in their scope of practice, something that is like coaching, which really in most professions means more like educating and advising. It's not the kind of coaching that you and I think of, um, but it's very confusing. And so most allied health professionals, physicians and nurses included will tell you, yes, they, they coach, that's part of their job scope. So it's really been very confusing. And to understand what was arising in the literature We really tried to take a look. um, This is myself and a group of of nine other researchers at who the people were doing this thing they were called coaching, separate from an individual scope of practice, what their background was, what was their training, and actually what does the intervention itself look like. And I'm just going to put up a handful of different definitions pulled out of the literature. But so, for example, If we look at background first, you know, we see a College of Sports Medicine certified health and fitness specialist who had the original 13-week well Coach program. We see someone who was a certified diabetes educator that had a 16-hour motivational interviewing um, workshop. We see people that were trained at uh, coaches Training Institute, plus had 50 hours of mentored, mentored coaching. We see trained medical assistants who did not have a degree, um, but were selected to be part of a coaching protocol based on their good rapport with patients. And then we see volunteers and employees that had a 16 to 20 hours really focused more on content um, for a specific hypertension project. So the, you know, it's sort of all over the place in terms of what their backgrounds were, where their training came from. And then if we look at what they were actually doing, One group describes coaching as building trusting relationships and counseling. Another describes it as instructing participants about behavioral, in this particular study, weight control. Another talks about helping clients access needed motivation to initiate and maintain change. Another talks about health promotion and health uh, education, but in a coaching context. So again, in terms of even the intervention, what folks are doing that they're calling coaching, all over the board. So we really got to a place where we need a clear and uniform job definition in order to define scope of practice, in order to allow best practices to emerge, and to allow good research to happen so that we can actually see what the effectiveness of the approach is. When we're comparing multiple studies and putting, trying to aggregate the findings, but they're all actually doing different things, we get very confounded results. So, thus far, there have not been agreed upon practice guidelines or any kind of standards for training and education. So, six years ago now, um, a group of, there were originally three or four of us, there's now Uh, Eight of us on the executive committee and then we have a larger board and advisory group as well, but we came together to form the national consortium whose mission really was to develop uh, And mark a professional standing for health and wellness coaches and this organization is a volunteer nonprofit organization. We've all been contributing significant time to this and The three kind of arms of this are to professionalize health and wellness coaching so that to define it as a group that helps facilitate change of mindset and change of health related behaviors. Similarly, we need to accredit training and education programs so that we can ensure that people are actually learning and practicing the skills that are needed. And we have to eventually develop a very nice firewall between both certification and accreditation. The bottom line of what happens is when you're trying to have a single standard, it often gets tested through a multiple choice test. That's how it gets disseminated um, on a large scale. But as you well know, you can uh, test for applied knowledge and the ability to synthesize knowledge. But you can't actually see somebody's skill level on a multiple choice test. So the only way to ensure that people actually have skills is to not allow them to take the test unless they've come from a program that you know is doing a good job training the skills and giving them feedback and course correcting etc so people don't actually graduate and be able to sit for the exam until they are competent and then the other thing that consortium cares a lot about is developing a collaborative research agenda to answer key questions that are needed in the field. We have at this point over 75 organizations, professional associations um, in academia and in industry um, and across healthcare that are in support of bringing this mission together. So let me talk a little bit about the job task analysis. It's basically a process that is used to delineate The role or a job that a given um, person plays. And it's the same process, whether you're trying to figure out what a fireman does, or an accountant does, or in this case, a health and wellness coach. It's based on the idea that the people who best understand what, in this case, health and wellness coaches do, are those people that are in the trenches doing the work. So it's not theory-based or, you know, based on academicians. It's based on people that are delivering the coaching. And after the actual tasks are defined, so here's, here are the tasks that make up what we call coaching, after that's well-defined, then you can say, okay, well, so what knowledge is needed and what skills does someone have to have in order to minimally perform, minimally competently perform that particular task? And once that's established, then you can use that knowledge and skills to develop training curricula so that you can articulate what's needed to enter the field. So the um, consortium led a job task analysis. We hired an expert who had been doing this for 32 years. And we selected, we went through a selection process, um, we ended up with 15 subject matter experts who were practicing health and wellness coaches that appeared to represent the field. Uh, very diverse in their education, very diverse in their professional backgrounds, and very diverse in where they got their coach training. And we gathered for two and a half days and were led through this process um, where the uh, Jerry Rosen, Dr. Rosen, who led the JTA, basically continued to ask us, and what do you do next? And what do you do next? And what do you do next? And push us to make it as concrete as possible. Oh, Oh, That's what I just said, okay. So um, the thing that was interesting about this process for us is we really had to reach consensus on tasks. So it wasn't a vote, did the most of you think you do this or not? We could not include a task unless we had consensus around it. And um, after the tasks, which took the vast majority of the time, after the tasks were delineated, then we talked about knowledge and skills. Mm. So in order to see if we were accurate, We then had to go out to the field on a larger scale and say, okay, so this is what we think coaching is based on this process. Is this true? And so we reached out to health and wellness coaches. We sent out a a sample through email of reached 4,026 people, uh, 10, 1,031 of them responded. So we had a very nice response rate for a survey of this kind. And what we asked them to do is to take each of those 21 tasks and say, when you're doing your, health and wellness coaching, how important is this particular task on a scale of one to five? Or or separately then, how frequently do you do this? Because there's some things, for example, that are not very frequent, but they're really important, like envisioning for yourself what you really want. There are other things that um, may be less important, but you do them all the time, like you keep staying on the accountability and how it is they want to track and so forth. And then once the tasks have been weighted based on these importance and frequency ratings, you have basically the blueprint for the creation of the national exam. So let me pause and see if there's any questions just about the process so far, or any um, thoughts that folks wanna share.
0: Well, yeah, I'm gonna jump in. It's a good place to pause because it's such a fascinating process because it sounds like the process is very successful for you, I believe. In other words, you're, 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 you're very positive
1: about it. Yes, it was very positive. Um, what I think one of the things that was very affirming was that our larger-scale audience said, yeah, we got it right. So that was very nice, and apparently that doesn't always happen.
0: Well, my question for you is, how do, do you feel we got it right? In other words, how well did it end up being what you were already you know, uh, feeling or sensing out of curiosity?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I would say a lot. I think the thing that was surprising to me personally, is that a big debate that had been going on is how much education is involved in health and wellness coaching. Because we're moving from the paradigm in medicine, where lots of different professionals, quote unquote, educate, you know, their clients or their patients. And I had been really taking a much harder line about coaching not involving education, Mm -hmm. try to get away from that.
0: Right, right, right. Um,
1: But both in the A large-scale study that um, I had done with a team of folks looking at how health coaching is operationalized in the literature. So Mm -hmm. that systematic review we did and also in this JTA validation study, lots of people were using education. Um, The difference, I think, is, of course, how the education is done. Right. You've given the person permission. You know, you've requested, you've given them permission. You've asked them for permission. Right. Um, and you've provided education at a point when they're most open to it and ready for it. Um, that to me was the biggest surprise that education really held another role. So. Um,
0: that's actually really, I'm going to jump in because I know that's what the student, I, my students struggle, you know, I teach at Maryland University of Integrative Health and, and there's, you know, sometimes there's the, well, I'm not supposed to educate, but the client wants to educate. And it's like, well, you just said a key thing. The client wants something from the coach. It could usually nutrition or fitness or mindfulness or mind, you know, mind, body medicine. And so it's almost like you're found that you can't really get fully away from it.
1: Right. Well, and I think that it is different when the client's specifically asking for it, Mm -hmm. um, that in that situation, you know, there's indicating that they're at a place where they are ready to take it in and integrate it. Um, I just think it gets fuzzy. Whose agenda is it? (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I mean, to me, what you're describing is in the coaching model, I mean, it, it's a client-centered agenda, and the coach is is reflecting and coactively creating this process, and there are going to be moments in time when education is going to, you know, a, a, information or teaching really plays a role in the process.
1: Uh, absolutely. And the other thing we're seeing is that as coaches get more and more into um clinical settings Mm -hmm. particularly if they also have another role so this is not uncommon at this point you know I'm a nurse and I'm coaching my clients I'm an RD and I'm coaching my clients Mm -hmm. in situations like that you know all of those clinical professionals it's actually part of their responsibility to provide education so yeah yeah, so we're Having to integrate it and just figuring out how to do it in a respectful and hopefully effective way.
0: What's interesting, because then the next question, then I'm going to let you get back to your slides, um, and also we'll give people instructions on how to, you know, prompt for questions, um, is would be... is whether did then did the job task analysis start to include, you know, health education topics or is it more coaching
1: topic? In terms it's a great of, question. Yeah. So the um, in the job task analysis, we got only to the place of acknowledging that it had to be part of it, that people needed some people being coaches needed some basic understanding of healthy lifestyle. Right. No. Um, the big question had been sort of how much, right? To what degree? I mean, do you have to understand, you know, how the lungs function in order to know to track your breathing during exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have to understand, you know, metabolism to learn what what are healthy sources of protein, et cetera. So, Basically, where we have landed is that um, people need 15 hours of education as a minimum entry point, not so much about how things function, but about what the evidence-based recommendations are Mm -hmm. for like the five health, major health risk behaviors that tend to drive the six most prominent chronic conditions.
0: Right, right, right. No, that makes sense. So, you're, you, know, you know, in other words, you're, 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 you're coming from what we know about health risks, health determinants. Right. and And you got to at least know that.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. The
0: way it sets up a lifelong learning pattern of wanting to keep up with a, of that literature as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah and i would imagine that at some point when we get to a place of recertification and stuff that will get more finely defined but we've had a a work we the consortium has had a work committee Um, developing kind of outlines for exactly what needs to be known, at least for the transition um, approval period for the first couple of tests. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been a painful several year process, but I think we've got an agreed upon document now.
0: That's good. That's good. Actually, I do have a question from my my partner, Reggie. So I think, Reggie, your mic's open.
2: Yeah, good. Thanks, Joel. Uh, Ruth, when you mentioned uh, the uh, the phrase that caught me was, you know, "Whose agenda is it?" When when uh, you know a coach and a client are uh, exchanging what one of them wants or doesn't want, and so my I actually did read the job task analysis when it first came out, and I don't have it in front of me, so the answer might be in there. But I just wanted to ask you this: At what level will? And I know this is early in the game, but at, at, at what level does? Or will the credentialing take into consideration a prospective health coach's own ability to self-reflect and know his or her own agenda and his or her own worldview and, and how he or she sees things? Because I, I, I can't know my own agenda unless I know that I have one.
1: <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Well stated. Um, so it is, we, we tried to have it in there. And I think it's in there, but sort of tip of the iceberg, you know, personally and with a background as a health psychologist, I would like people to be much more steeped in that than others might feel. I would say the executive committee and the consortium is all very much on board about we have to be able to do self-reflection and really good self-regulation in order to stay present for the client. So that is definitely in there. The degree to which... Um, it's in there and the degree to which it will be um, necessary for given coaches, I think is going to, in part, be reliant on the training programs. So at this point in the transitional phase, they had to at least teach some kind of self-awareness techniques for the coach. Um, But it's, you know, we're trying to like get all players on the same field and then things will get Tighter over time. Um, I'm hoping that will get even more delineated over time.
2: You know, great, thanks. And again, I I know that 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 it's really early in this process, um, and it's uh, you know you, you can't do every single thing that you want to do at the beginning. But that's a um, that's a, a an important point from, from where I'm sitting. So thanks. Yeah.
1: It, well, it's an important point, and it's also a hugely important point once you start thinking about payer models, right? Because um, It's an interesting, you know, clinicians are trained to have a certain level of responsibility, and we know that pushing people to do things that they're not ready to do or aren't interested in doing doesn't work. But at the same time, uh, you know, if you're on the side of the payer, until there's really strong, very convincing data, then, you know, you may think, well, okay, so the person's ready to work on their primary relationship, which we might know is a huge component of health, but the insurance company might not think they're responsible to pay for that.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Yep. Complicated.
2: Yeah, it
0: is. Thank you. Yeah. Actually, Reggie, can you, you're really good at just giving a quick reminder on how people can raise their hands so that we can – we'll have Ruth go on, but let's – Yeah, sure.
2: If, so if you do want to raise your hand, just put your cursor down where it says participants. If you click on that, and a little box will open up in the lower – Left-hand corner, it says "raise hand." If you click on the raise hand button, your hand will go up, and Joel and David will see it. And when it's time to ask more questions, uh, they'll they'll call your name.
0: You did that so, well. thank you. So, Ruth, let's keep going because I'm looking for. I want to see what I know. There's a next on the job task analysis. So,
1: okay. So as we did this large um, validation study, I just want to tell you about the sample because that was key to us that we were actually reaching a good diverse um, sample. The folks in the, that responded, um, this 1,031 people, their coach training came from so many different places from 15 university-based programs, 18 private sector programs that defined themselves as health and wellness coach programs. 23 private sector programs that were life coaching programs, five that were executive coaching programs, seven training programs that came from associations like National Wellness Institute or American College of Sports Medicine. Um, Eight people that said, based on this putting together of information from their own uh, professional trajectory, they believed that that qualified them. So it just uh, reiterated for us that, that, people were coming from really diverse places. And it was really affirming that all the mean importance ratings of the tasks exceeded 3.0, which is the standard at which something then is included in the final exam. So, um, I mean, in the final certification exam. So that was very affirming for us. Um, The item bank itself is in the process of being constructed now. So we have a number of people who've written Items that have then been reviewed by others. We're in the process of vetting who our implementation partner will be and as we land that we've been negotiating with a particular group for quite some time now. And as we land that um, There will be a revision and um, even further upgrades to the questions. It's interesting because we have practice coaches writing the questions, but you know coaching and good question writing are very different skill sets and so it's uh, they have needed a certain amount of training in order to learn how to do it. We last May in May of 2015 um, four of us on the consortium's uh, Committee put out a paper that described our proposed criteria and um, we've had 300 over 300 responses that we then took into consideration and used actually to adjust some of the eligibility criteria and some of the program accreditation criteria, which we'll talk about in a minute. So this is the actual um, job tasks that have ended up on the job task analysis and that were validated. Um, And I think I'll just be quiet for a moment and let you take a look at that. Um, It would be very helpful to um, have questions and some discussion around this. They're roughly divided into four domains, so there's the first five or six are basically about the early processes in designing the relationship and uh, creating the vision of what the, the, helping the client create the vision of what they, what they want, and then there's sort of the middle of it, the sort of moving towards self-identified goals, exploring readiness and exploring motivation, looking at limit-setting mindsets, um, working basically to develop small action steps that move you forward, and then um, having people identify what's the best way to um, hold themselves accountable. And then the third kind of domain is, is basically the process of integrating the learning. So how do people learn to evaluate their own success? How do they maintain progress? How do they kind of reassess their goals and change? Because ultimately what we, want, you know, for me, whether somebody reaches a given goal is less important to me than that they learn the process, because you want them to be able to take what they've learned into any context and apply it. And then the last domain is really about, you know, practicing um, in an ethical way and in a lawful way. So let's pause and see if there's some comments, questions.
0: So yeah, I'm just going to, and so there's another, I'm just to make sure there's another slide because there, it stops at 21. I think that, not that you should move to the next slide, but there's two slides on this one? Nope,
1: there's so, only 21 tasks.
0: 21, okay. So that's it. I will a, say our words. Oh, I like see. 20 is, yeah, 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 no, got it. So 20 is ethics and engage in lifelong learning and lawful practice and, uh, yeah, interesting. Well, yeah, we, let's, you know, we can maybe be quiet for a second, you know, I can shut up. Yeah, <laughs> it, people ask a question, you know, if people see what there is, is this new, is there something uh, that seems out of place that uh, is, cure, people have any curious questions? I guess one question that comes up to me, because I'm not seeing a hand go up, is is that you know many of these coaches are, are are ICF certified, I would imagine, International Coach Federation, right? There's a backdrop to some extent of your senior teams.
1: Well, you know, it's really um, it's really a subset. It's I would say less than half.
0: Okay, less than half. And so, was there a deliberate attempt at sort of trying to not have that? back you know not to contextualize just have it be completely fresh oh yes yeah
1: in the actual jta process yeah yeah yeah.
0: yes that's what i would guess that you would try and you would be doing is not you know not because there's a way in which you start to to think like the icf and it isn't necessary to do that because health coaching has its own context and its own
1: right oh and i would say when you said um the icf context i thought you were talking about like the consortium so, in terms of the participants on the JTA, whoa, I think it was way less than half. I maybe I, I need to look truthfully, but I think it was just a few people, mm-hmm. right. like that were mass, You know, that were PCCs or MCCs.
0: Right, right, right. So that's interesting too, because there's 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 a different certification too. So if you were well represented, you weren't just ICF certified. There's there's at least two other national certifying coach certifying bodies. Mm-hmm you know, that, so why would you just stop and, you know, be stuck in the ICF? So that kind of makes sense. It's interesting.
1: You know, from the perspective of um, health and wellness, really, if you look within medicine, the idea of like helping somebody create a vision, and really hearing what's, you know, focusing on success and moving forward, um, as opposed to, telling people what to do or telling them what's wrong is hugely different you know it's it's really innovative i mean the whole medical system is organized around what's wrong you have your presenting problem and so the the idea that we're trying to turn how people think about health on its head okay so what's you know what goes what goes well well historically you only go if you have a problem
0: mhm yeah it's interesting and so well you're you're quite you know I, what I hear is a a, a a certain amount of recognizing that you're really challenging the system itself to grow the you know medicine the way it's delivered and the way we think about it.
1: Yes that is my self agenda to um, actually transform medicine here. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious about that, just a little sidetrack, and feel free if anybody wants to raise their hand to toss in a question, but, um, you know, you, you were, you know, researching in integrative medicine, Duke's program is integrative, okay. yeah, and, and so um, did that, was it, has this, that particular sort of desire for, for, for change, has that been all along the way, I mean, did you start out that way, or did that emerge as you started to look at the field?
1: Um, the, the desire to change medicine, you mean? Yeah,
0: to change the, you know, to impact the system in this way.
1: Oh, right. I, I would say both, actually. Um, you know, coming from a health psychology training, it was so obvious to me how much the mind-body were connected and how much our thoughts and beliefs and emotions drove our behavior. Um, and it was astounding to me that not everybody understood that. <laughs>
0: Interesting. <laughs> oh, so
1: I yeah. think that um, so the first director of integrative medicine that I really worked closely with, Tracy Gardette, um, had such an impact and, and very much believed and in the mind body connection and that the, the importance of the patient driving things and understanding themselves. Um, I was into mindfulness before I was into coaching, and mm-hmm. um, and I actually think together they make a lovely way of, of addressing things. But um, the the I uh, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought there.
0: That's okay. You were, you know, the the early, you know, in other words, it made sense for as an integrative practitioner.
1: Right, exactly. And and that kind of how you really listen well, how you hold the patient Um, And really a sacred space and really listen well was so core to not only what I did, but what all these different practitioners did Mm, Um, and the salience of that was was so obvious, but also obvious was the fact that uh, there were some structures that were needed to help people move forward. And
0: oh, interesting. So yeah, so you could not, it's not just listening, it's also providing structures for supporting and enhancing that, that you can, you know, that can enter in the creating the conditions. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So like we do have a question, so I'm going to unmute Lois. I think Lois, is your mic on?
1: Yes, it is. Hi, Ruth. Hi. Hi. I was curious uh, with what you were just talking about in changing uh, the way medicine is uh, practiced. Is what do you think that the um, the level of willingness in the medical community is for what health coaching has to offer? I think it's growing rapidly. Um, you know, medicine relies so heavily on evidence, and so part of the um, it, so you've got the people that are very humanistic and really get the patient relationship, and that's why they're in it, and they get this right away. Um, But folks that have been kind of beat up (laughs) through medical school or nursing school and, you know, have lost some of that um, deep connection piece because they've had so much information to take in and so much procedural stuff to learn, Um, they really... listen to and respond more to the evidence. And so that's why it's become so important to have this job definition so that we can clean up the evidence. Because right now, there's, there's very good evidence about this process helping patients get engaged, which all medicine cares about. Um, there's very good evidence for it helping um, behaviors, but it's not 100%. I, mean, I would say probably three quarters of the studies show that. Um, And then the ultimately sort of changing the biological paradigm and the disease presentation that's really much more mixed. Um, And some of that is the design of the studies then we don't follow people long enough, but some of that is that people were testing things that were called coaching that weren't what I call coaching. So I think we're opening doors that have been closed by having some evidence. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I think the fact that, you know, we've got this burgeoning chronic disease epidemic and um, people are very clear that our system was created to deal with acute problems, not chronic problems, and that we don't know what to do with them. So coaches offer a real solution, and, and that that piece is being welcomed when we can show that and it works. <laughs> okay.
0: Right. Well, this is no. We're very grateful. Actually, um, you did get uh, a comment from someone just being very grateful for the work that you've actually uh, you've actually uh, done. Um, so, um, actually, I do. I think Gary has a question too. I'm gonna. I can't. He didn't raise his hand, but I'm gonna see Gary. You have a question? Uh, Gary, are you on?
3: Yes, I. I do. Thank you. Um, very much appreciate this uh, presentation. Ruth. I was thinking of step uh, or job task 11, uh, work to develop steps. Uh, Many physicians um, are frustrated when a patient comes in and for example, is a smoker and doesn't even really think that the problem that they're facing health wise is related to their smoking. Um, And the physician often feels that in this one visit I should really get this patient to quit smoking. I love this fact that you have included developing steps, you know, sort of manageable steps. I remember we learned a brief model of change uh, when I was at Kaiser where these steps would be developed. And it appears that much of what the coach is doing here in their tasks really would be valuable for physicians to know more explicitly and I would really suggest that that Grand Rounds, for example, be something that, that somebody from your department would put on periodically mm-hmm. and raise the consciousness of physicians about these steps, which inevitably they're going to have to use some of these ta- uh, techniques as well. And the better you can inform them and make them articulated, I think the easier it's going to be for physicians to incorporate them into
1: their own practice. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. I I totally agree with you. And I think part of the reason physicians hold that expectation from themselves is that that's been put upon them because people have not really understood how enormous the change process is. Um, And so I I am in what I about two and a half weeks, I'll be doing a half-day workshop with the medical students at Vanderbilt, um, with Linda Manning and Blair Morris, my my colleagues there, and we're specifically focusing on what to do when people are ambivalent in change. You know, focusing on the contemplation stage of change, because that's what you see the most of in the clinics. You know, when somebody actually searches out a coach, they're ready to do something, at least about a particular area of change. So I think there's a lot of room to move this education into medicine for the providers to give them skills, but also to help educate you know, the, the insurers and the administrators and people that still believe that if you know what to do, you should do it.
3: <laughs> and for the mental health of the providers who get very frustrated when they face these intractable issues
1: yes nice thank you i will bring that point i'll i'll work that point into my workshop because i don't think it's in there now
0: so you you, you see ruth you got the sympathetic physician vote out of that particular one (laughs) gary is a a physician um so you you did all this wonderful thank you gary so you did all this one you know this really important work of this job task analysis and so it ends up that we have a clear idea of what you know we believe or what the skills required of being a health coach. And then of course, there's a next step that the consortium went through. So this is a segue to sort of let you, what is the next step? What happens? I I wanna become a health coach. What happens?
1: Okay, so um, in order, well, okay, so to become a health coach, to answer Joel's question, uh, first, you need to go through a national consortium approved training program. And right now we're in this transition period where we're trying to get people on the same playing field. Um, so at this, in this transition phase, in order to be able to sit for the national exam, um, folks need to have at least an associate's degree. And there were lots and lots of discussions, literally years of discussion and input from so many players about whether this should be a bachelor's or a master's. Um, And it has landed at Associates, um, which there are pros and cons of. Uh, A big part of this is that there's a number of groups doing coaching in arenas that are very under-resourced where um, peers are doing coaching, um, medical assistants are doing coaching, people that are willing to work in environments where they're trying to help from a community perspective. And we wanted those people at the table. There is a strong case to be made for people needing to be able to think conceptually and really do critical thinking, which you can ensure much better with a bachelor's degree. Although I don't know if you can really ensure that these (laughs) days with a bachelor's degree, but you definitely get that, get more of that. Um, So over time it's possible that the basic education requirement does increase. Um, At this point, in the transition phase, it's at least an associate's degree. Successfully completing this program and what programs have to do to demonstrate that they are training folks to be competent coaches is basically show that they have live curriculum that covers the 21 tasks and that they are watching and giving feedback to the students. So there have been a number of programs where you kind of, you know, you paid your fee and you maybe got great materials, but nobody ever saw you do something. And so it's very different to understand something than it is to do it. So we really needed to have programs ensure that people had the practical skills. So the programs have to give a practical skill exam um, and pass students in order for them to be able to sit for the exam Mm -hmm. and then we also wanted people to have a baseline a minimal level of at least 50 coaching sessions Um, we specifically defined a session as at least 20 minutes because we were trying to get away from the old disease management model where people were uh, educating and those were usually in these 10 to 15 minute increments but not doing more the facilitated eliciting kind of conversations so uh Documented coaching sessions of at least 20 minutes, at least 50 of them.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: For the transition period, people are going to have to, well, they're going to be tested on the healthy lifestyle information. For programs in the permanent phase to maintain, to move to instead of this uh, transition approval, but a permanent accreditation, programs are going to have to offer at least 15 hours of this particular evidence-based recommendations for healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. The first exam is slated to be in 2017, originally 2016, but um, we were so delighted to have almost 50 programs apply for approval and um, it's just gotten very big, which is exciting in a lot of ways, but did take us away from item writing. So (laughs) we um, have pushed it back to the beginning of 2017 now.
0: So just to so to reiterate, the idea is is that before one sits for the exam, one's been through a program that has actually done assessment and has done some sort of hands, you know, some sort of assessment that it really includes not just filling doing a paper exam, basically.
1: Exactly. So there's, exactly. There's,
0: you know, I mean, that's that that's actually the, the one of the classes that I teach, and so there, there, you know, it's like watching people do their cases and actually watching them coach for twenty minutes is is the exam, so to speak, and so they. They've done that already from a school that has already gone through an an assess process where they're following the J the job task analysis, right? That's so and so therefore we've all agreed on this curriculum is over. I think there's over 50 schools that have uh have gone through the this particular.
1: Exactly. Process. So 50 schools have applied. Uh, we have a few applications we're not quite finished um, going through, but I was a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of work. Yeah.
0: And yeah. then, and then someone will sit for this exam, and they do fifty, you know, fifty sessions, which are. I mean, you say a minute or twenty minutes, but I know for me, when I, you know, because I coach students all the time, I was like, "What are you in a hurry?" These are the people who teach you the most, so very often sessions go longer at the beginning.
1: Oh, absolutely, and and most sessions I would say are usually in the thirty-minute range, some forty. The initial sessions can be an hour and a half long, the self-discovery sure, sure. sessions, but. Follow-up sessions for most programs are around 30 minutes, but for some of the companies that um, have really um, kind of developed a methodology and have a software infrastructure that allows them to deliver session after session, those are a little bit shorter, Um, yeah,
0: yeah, and then they sit for an exam, and and then at that point, in other words, if they're successful at that assessment, because the exam is an assessment, it's a formative assessment, yeah. um, then you, then then all of a sudden we start to have a certification, That's right? You know, dare I ask what letters or what title you get? Because who knows whether you've actually gotten to that? That could be the most contentious term at all of all, but I don't know. Well, it, we've has,
1: been discussing this for quite yeah. some time, but we don't have
0: an answer for. I, you. Okay, so I won't hold you to that, because <laughs> I know in the end, are you officially not? or are you? <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Your little crown.
0: <laughs> you know, but what's important, because I'm always a big fan of professional certification. I mean, we don't, you know, you don't, my background was, was one in homeopathy. And, and even though we never got external recognition for it, I mean, I'm a certified homeopath because there are the, American society, but a lot of societies need to, to say there's some standard that I can rely on.
1: Well, right. And what has been happening in coaching is that anybody, so anybody can be a coach and anybody can be a cert, you know, create a certification program even. And, and what, so there's some programs where you, you know, you buy the, you pay the fee, you get the book, you, you take a written test on the book and you're certified mm-hmm. and, and the certification only holds the weight that is associated with its brand
2: right.
1: except for situations where we Called uh, consensus, and so that's why we're hoping this has a lot more weight. Is because so many parties have joined together to say we stand behind this credential.
0: Right. Well, that's that's the that that's the that's the the power of the process that you've been a part of. Uh, you know, by really, and it takes a lot longer. Because you have to do all that consensus building, but therefore you really represent uh, many, many uh, leaders in the field. And so then it can be so. So then 2017 comes along and we start having certified. I do know, know a little bit about it. I know that, that the, the exam itself there's a way in which, you know, it's not just simply a pass or fail. There's also you can also be recommended to go, uh, go be, you know, remediated to some extent or go get mentor. Sessions,
1: right, and and the uh, the psychometric process of figuring out kind of the the pass fail is also really interesting. It's not, and this was you know surprising for me. And I studied psychometrics as part of my psych degree, but um, it's not like we decide as some committee, oh, okay, seventy five percent of the people, we're going to say a score of seventy five percent passes. It's basically the the scores are are laid out and the performance and the, the distribution is part of what uh, defines it. And I don't know, I shouldn't get into it because I don't understand it a whole bunch more than that. Right,
0: but there's a sense that it's just that, it's not just that, oh, I failed, I'm done. You can also say to someone, you need to be, have more supervision, basically.
1: Oh, absolutely, right? absolutely. You
0: know, and this is important because I, I, I know a little bit about what you guys have created. There's a way in which you, you know, you're also wanting to, to, to establish what are the credentials of faculty, Yes. What's a big piece of this process and, you know, what is the credentials of the mentoring? So, and the needs of having mentoring, which is a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, there's a psychology profession has had to go through this and they've really pushed it pretty far out.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, every single little, you know, piece of the certification process and the accreditation process brings up enormous issues um, that so we can move into the accreditation side uh, in order to Figure out what programs should be approved at this point and eventually accredited when we're a little more developed. Um, you know, this started six years ago and we had an invitational summit where we pulled a lot of different stakeholders together and developed a training and education team that worked for three years to try to define what the key uh, skills were that needed to be developed. The validated JTA Uh, really fit well with that. But one of the things that's very interesting in our process compared to other JTAs, um, in most, my understanding of how most JTAs are done based on our consultants, you end up with a specific skill that goes with a specific task. So um, Gary, I'll have to excuse my, my botching medicine here, but you know, if I'm going to do a particular procedure, I need to know how to you know use this instrument for that procedure well what happens in our health coaching work is that so many of the skills are needed for all of the tasks so our matrix ended up being like all filled in like you need to be able to listen really well for almost all of those tasks right you need to be able to self-reflect for many of those tasks you need to be able to define a goal um, in such a way that a person will know when they're successful That may be more specific to the goals and the steps and the maintaining progress, but even so it's three tasks. And so as you we developed this enormous list of skills and knowledge that were applicable across the board, it makes it much more difficult to create the exam. So our examiner consultants, um, you know, have been struggling with that for with us with that for quite some time now.
0: And you guys have persisted I mean, and struggled in a healthy way. So, you know, let's, it's, it, yeah, I appreciate the, the, the strand, the, the effort that goes, but also it's being successful. Yes, it's, yes. It's unfolding. And I, I appreciate what you also said is is that this is the start. So the, you got to, and I've said, I was, I remember saying this often in, in, when I was in my process. You got to, you know, sometimes people, the bar feels low, and it's like you, you got to have the bar get. Start it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: You don't just start, start doing high jumps or, or pole vaults on the top bar. You got to start going over and then you raise it.
1: Exactly.
0: Surely, and everybody goes. That makes sense. So, uh, you know, this program, this the, the, the consortium successfully launched this year, and it got a, an amazing response from the schools. You know, for the programs, and yes. I would I imagine you're going to get an amazing response. Which is also, I guess, that's preparing you for for how much staffing and what it's going to really take to start offering this thing. Because
1: which is why our negotiation has been so complicated with our vendors. Right. So, what's going to happen? Oh, we don't know. <laughs>
0: You don't know, but the evidence, the evidence is you could actually get a flood of people really wanting to do it, right? Yeah. Right. It's not, you're going to do all this work and then no one's going to come to the, to the wedding. It's, it's really, a, you know, th- there is a, there is a need for this and it's really going to help. But once again, third party payers and healthcare systems are all going to, it's not going to be too long where they're going to look and say, well, we know this one was developed and it works and it makes sense. So and that's going to bring more people in.
1: That is exactly our hope. And so that's why we're really working with a, a potential vendor that has the ability to test all over the place and you know, has, has good, um, good reputation
0: right? That makes sense. Well, we're getting close to the top of the hour. I should just make a, see if there's a pause for any other questions. I think it's been a, a, a wonderful conversation and presentation, I, Ruth.
1: Yeah, Joel, thank you. Um, And the other thing I will say is, of course, in case people didn't know, you know, teleosis has an approved program. So
0: <laughs> That's me when I was young and I had hair. Um, <laughs>
2: So there, there actually are two questions that came through the chat group. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one came from Daniel. I'll just read this out loud. This might be the quickest way to do it. Yeah, do. Um,
1: it.
2: Is, will the exam be timed? Is there a time limit on the exam room? Um,
1: so it will be timed because the testing centers um, block like half days. It will probably be a three- or four-hour block and 150 questions. So wh- while there will be a, a time limit, we are expecting that to be generous. That said, there are some people that need accommodations for time, so we're making sure that our vendor is well aware of the whole process of how you accommodate people with special needs.
2: Okay, great, thank you. And, and thank you on behalf of Daniel. And then uh, from, from Corey, to a, re- a reference back to the actual um, tasks. In your model, who defines the ideal vision in T6?
1: Oh, it's the client. It's absolutely the client. Thank you for uh, clarifying that or having me clarify that. The, The task statements are actually fairly long, and I couldn't get them on a slide, so I threw out a lot of words to fit them on the slide. But it's absolutely the client's vision.
0: Okay. Well, actually, and that's important, if people want to look farther into the job task analysis, I believe if you can go to the website for the, yeah. the, the the consortium's website, and you can find that on, on Telios' website, I'm sure, on Vanderbilt's website, and you can Google it. I've Googled it so many times as I keep coming back on it, you know, National Consortium of right. Health and Well. Yeah, Wellness. I
1: should say, we're, we're we're early in fixing our, or not fixing, improving our website at Vanderbilt, so don't go there yet. Yeah. <laughs> But the consortia you can, N-C-C-H-W-C,
0: that's a, that's a test to see if we can remember that.
1: Oh, sorry.
0: That was too fast. <laughs> that's okay. I just put it in the chat box. We put it in the chat box. So, but I will. Oh, yeah, it's in the chat box. But I, I do want to read, um, you know, we did get a comment. It's a good closing comment um, from Jody. if I can keep up. But I just wanted to read it because it. I think it says a lot of people's sentiment. It says, no question at this time, but wish to extend huge gratitude for Ruth and all for an incredible labor of love to move health coaching forward. Forward.
1: Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: So thank, thank you, Joey, And thank you, Ruth. I think uh, that actually sort of makes for a perfect place for us to close as we got some questions. And thank you for taking the time today out of, you know, and looking forward to, to working together and seeing how this continues to evolve.
1: Great. Thank you all. We appreciate the support.
0: Okay. Okay. We're going to sign off now.
1: Bye-bye.